We welcome in Ben Portnoy from the state newspaper who covers the Gamecocks, and you were out here today for the first time. Yeah, it was my first time. I've uh, you know I've been down to Hilton Head a couple of times just just to visit and check out the beaches, but this was the first time I uh, dug up the golf course a little bit. So I, apologies to the uh, to the grounds crew that has to follow us after uh, after today. But there were enough good shots to keep coming back, right? So uh, it was a great time, though. Really, really cool, really picturesque, and really, really amazing experience. Yeah, I, I feel so guilty with each one of my huge divots that I leave <laughs> out there. It just makes me feel guilty about tearing up such beautiful grass. But I appreciate you spending some time with us before heading back to Columbia. I wanted to pick your brain on some things looking ahead to South Carolina spring practice and other things. You just had a chance to sit down with Shane Beamer and with Dowell Loggins, the new OC and the new offensive coordinator. So what did you take away from what they had to say? Yeah, you know, it's always – interesting talking to to Shane and this time and and this sort of part of the year especially after you know wrapping up the season and you know recruiting season has kind of picked up and come and gone a little bit and obviously a lot to talk about with Nicholas Harbor and things like that but you know I think that the the thing that I've taken away and and I think he said this both publicly and when we were talking in our sit down as well was you know that I, I don't think there's this misconception that South Carolina feels like it's sort of out over its skis you know Shane's kind of echoed the thought of you know South Carolina hasn't quote unquote arrived yet, right? That's there, there's still ways to go to do, be there. You know, you can't lose to Missouri to do that. You can't get run off the field by Georgia in the way that they've been run off the field the last two years. And I think that, having said that, I think there's still like a real, uh, there's sto- still a level of what's realistic at least right now and what still needs to be done. And I think that's important because I think it's easy when. You know, you go and beat Tennessee and Clemson at the end of the year the way things do. You, you do. You know, you come out and have a pretty good chance to beat Notre Dame. And, and frankly, I think, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily hit a wall, but, you know, just Notre Dame made a few plays down the stretch that, that ended, ended up winning that game. But, um, you know, it's easy for, for expectations, things like that, to get inflated. And, and and maybe they do from the outside. And, you know, maybe I stopped picking South Carolina to lose by seven touchdowns <laughs> to Tennessee because I, I think I joked with Shane after the game, after that Tennessee game, that I think that, you know, I think the last three times I've picked South Carolina to lose by three touchdowns or more, they've gone and won the football game. So, yeah. you know, what do I know? But uh, I, I do think that there's still a level of sort of understanding of where this program is, where it's going, and, and obviously in recruiting. Um, you've seen a lot of that, a lot of that at least uh, – and sort of the, the, the payoff there, at least. Yeah. So in your conversations with uh, the two of them, as they look ahead to the spring, and I know one thing that's heavily on Beamer's mind is the defensive end position, something they've got to solve because they don't have a lot of depth. And I'm wondering about the quality with the players that they've lost. Have they successfully replaced those guys with equally good players or, or better players? So you know that's a concern. And then on the offensive side, I guess – the thing that you have to kind of concern yourself with is learning another offensive system. You're here, Spencer Rattler, who came in from Oklahoma where he had a system. He comes here to South Carolina. He works under Marcus Satterfield. He learns terminology and another system. Now he's got to learn another system in a short amount of time. Of course, he proved he could pick up the Satterfield system in a relatively short amount of time. And a lot of people felt that the Satterfield system was extremely difficult. I got to believe Loggins is going to simplify it some. Did you get a feeling from him as to what he plans to implement? 
you know, I, I don't think X's and O's are quite there yet as far as the exact terminology. I think, he, you know, he was actually saying and mentioned to me that, you know, he was sort of figuring out what terminology works with guys and what sounds right. And, and you know, there's all sorts of keywords and buzzwords and things like that that go into calling an actual play. And uh, he said he's kind of working through that right now. But, um, you know, the funniest part, and I thought it was interesting, and, and you know, you don't necessarily hear coaches say this all the time, but it, it was really interesting. He said, you know, frankly, like, he said, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he basically said, I came to South Carolina for two reasons. It was Shane Beamer and Spencer Rattler. And for a little bit of that, I wasn't sure if Spencer Rattler was going to be part of that equation. Yeah. And, and he said it was, you know, not touch and go necessarily, but, you know, it was definitely long conversations with him and his family and his camp. And, um, you know, Spencer spent a lot of time talking to his people and his his camp as well and, and working through those things and kind of, um, you know, if, if the thing that I took away and I, I thought, you know, is a really, you know, admirable thing was that Dowell said, you know, listen, like, I'm not your coach, but like, I coached in the NFL for, what, 16, 17 years. If this is the route you want to go through, you want to get ready for the combine, like, I will do everything in my power to help you, and I'm here to help you and work you through that process with you, you know, having not been your coach, but but having had that experience. Like, you know, he kind of said, like, look, I've been through the draft process. Like, I can tell you right now what they're going to ask you in, a, in, a, in an interview at the combine, right? I can tell you what they're going to critique or what they're going to say it needs work. Um, but on the flip side of that, if you come back, those are things we can work on and improve and, and all of those things. And so I thought that was interesting. You know, he was kind of, kind of, he was pretty, you know, realistic about it. It was like, realistically, like it wasn't a given that Spencer Rattler was going to come back. I mean, this was a real decision to be made and, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, kind of before it, you know, talking to Dal about this, Shane, Shane kind of joked about it too. And he said, you know, everyone thought I was crazy when I joked last year, um, in, in kind of one of the side rooms at media days that, that I would bring Spencer Rattler next year because no one thought that Spencer Rattler was going to be coming back. And, yeah. and, he's, and I said, I was like, oh, so does that mean that, that Spencer's going to media days? And he was like, well, I won't go that far yet. But He won't uh, commit to Rattler he, he, going to media days? Not yet, not yet, officially. Not, yeah. a, not officially. So maybe, yeah. that's, maybe that's in the cards. We'll see. But, yeah. uh, but my point is, is that a, a lot of the Spencer Rattler, you know, will he go, will he stay, all that, um, what was a lot of sort of the offseason. And, and I think that those guys are still kind of working through what he does well, what the rest of the offense does well, and, and all of that. But um, I, I think it's sort of in the, the – sort of infancy of what we're going to see. But I do think it's going to be really interesting to see what we get, you know, in a spring game type of situation, what kind of personnel packages you see um, and kind of how guys line up. Now, is that a glorified scrimmage? Yes, but it's still at least something. So it's going to be sort of the first tangible um, thing that we get to see. Yeah, they also have to solve some issues on the offensive line. They lose a number of starters there. Uh, Running back, who's going to emerge at running back? I mean, that had to be a shock to them. Have you figured out anything more about – Marshawn Lloyd, I mean, was it just simply, well, I don't know, was it simply anything? Have you discovered anything about why he opted to leave? This was a place where he could have carried the ball a lot in 2023. Was it, was it just the allure of going out to L.A. and playing for Southern Cal? Yeah, you know, not much more than mid, what's been made public. I think, you know, Marshawn made a decision for him and his family and then decided that USC was the place he wanted to go. And, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, obviously, it's a tie-in with with Shane Beamer's old boss and Lincoln Riley being out at in LA and mm-hmm. all of those things and you know a little bit of a messy well, not necessarily messy but you know a little bit of a wonky situation where you know Marshawn probably is the bell cow coming back but um definitely a little bit of a weird situation but I do think that that South Carolina feels really good about what they got in Mario Anderson I think he's going to be a guy that is going to be a really interesting player to track mm-hmm. um you know Juju McDowell I, I don't know that he's going to be a guy that can take you know, 15 carries a game, but I do think he can be really involved in the offense. And we saw that in the bowl game, frankly, you know, some stuff to get him on the edge and sure. in space and things like that. Um, but I, I, you've also got Lavasier Carroll in the in the mix, and, and, you know, there's a thought that Dante Miller could maybe get an extra year of eligibility um, to at least round out some depth there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see South Carolina go after another running back in, in the transfer portal. Maybe that's what this comes to. You know, you've also got four-star DJ Braswell coming in. Mm-hmm. Um 
So you've got a few options, but you probably would feel pretty good about about getting another uh, another running back in there. And, and as you alluded to, defensive end is probably on the top of the wish list as well. Yeah, Jordan Burks leaving sort of uh, – do you think that came as a surprise to them when it did happen? I think it was a little bit of a surprise, but I think it got to the point where it was ready. You know, I think they knew it, it was coming a little bit. I think, you know, as a coaching staff, I mean, these things, you know, they get made public, but at some point, like, these things are known sort of internally mm-hmm. a, a little bit before that, and I think that that – that was the reality. I think South Carolina knew this was maybe heading that way. And, I, I mean, the other piece of that is Gilbert Edmond left and is at Florida State now. And, I mean, mm-hmm. Gilbert Edmond played a lot of snaps and played a lot of really good snaps for South Carolina in kind of a, a tough situation where Jordan Strong goes down game one, basically, and hasn't – or, excuse me, game two against Arkansas. And, and he all of a sudden is a starter and a guy that was probably going to be a rotational piece and all of a sudden is playing, you know, 90% of the snaps, excuse me, at defensive end. Um, so those are two big losses, and and I said you know we were talking about you know what comes next, what's what's the next count cal- next on the calendar, and and Beamer was talking about spring ball and the transfer portal, and I said I was like uh, I kind of joked I was like oh so you don't feel like you're set at defensive end right now, and he kind of <laughs> laughed and he, he said you know no obviously you know we joke about it but but obviously still looking for guys there so we'll see. All right, we're gonna hit the break. You got a few more minutes before you. you have to hit the road. We'll spend a few more minutes with Ben Portnoy of the state when we come back. Okay, we're back on Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, coming to you. We are in the Jack Nicholas room inside the clubhouse at Harbortown after having a wonderful day playing golf today and listening to people and learning more about what's upcoming around Harbortown and Sea Pines with the uh, approaching uh, RBC Heritage Tournament in April. Uh, presented by Boeing. Let's don't forget the good folks at Boeing who are involved in this as well. It takes a state effort to pull off uh, a big events like uh, a PGA uh, tournament. So uh, we'll have Steve Wilmot with us a little bit after 7 o'clock to talk more about everything that went on today and everything that's coming up uh, involved with the tournament. Uh, Pat Daniels back at our studios in downtown Columbia. Uh, He has done some investigating. He knows why. Well, he knows how the UCF baseball team was able to get access to the hill at Death Valley. How'd they do it? Well, it's my understanding, and I could be wrong about this, but I feel pretty confident uh, going on for years now. Typically, when a baseball team, a visiting team, is at Clemson, in particular if they have a larger squad with them, they'll sometimes do their post-game showers in the visiting locker rooms over at Memorial Stadium. So it's my understanding that's how they got access into the stadium was they were over there. And you can see in that video, they're still in their uniforms. So I would guess they went straight from celebrating uh, in Doug Kingsmore, went across the street, and before they actually took their showers and whatnot, they did a little celebratory run down the hill. Hmm. And, and interesting to point out, a lot of the guys did the little, the little jump right at the hump about midway down the hill, almost as if they're fans of the program and have, have watched a ball game or two. You know, actually, I wouldn't take that as an insult, Ben, if I'm a Clemson people. I'd take it more as uh, an acknowledgement of, hey, we know about your football program. We know about your traditions. Uh, I don't think – do you take it as UCF mocking Clemson in some way or maybe just showing uh, their their way of respect after they pulled off a a tremendous uh, three-game sweep for them? I think there's – 
maybe a little bit of the the you know folks will argue it's like showing up Clemson a little bit. There's probably a little bit of that, but you know what? We're also in a world where we're getting, you know, really snarky messages from official team accounts after football games and yeah. things like that. You know, I don't know. I, I think it's in the grand scheme of things, it's harmless. It's kind of funny. It's entertaining. And you know what? Let college kids be college kids. Let them do some funny stuff like this. It's college baseball and college baseball in particular is especially quirky and weird and interesting and funny. And I think, you know what? At the end of the day, it's it's college kids being college kids and let them have some fun. And and you know what? They went and swept Clemson and, and earned it. So it's not uh it's not like they're doing it after, you know, taking one out of two or something like that. It, so absolutely. It, it kinda is what it is. I to think. piggyback on what Ben just said there, two great points. This was the first non ACC team to come into Clemson and sweep a three game series since nineteen eighty five. So they certainly deserve to celebrate a little bit. Hmm. And of course, Clemson fans now will be a little edgy going into this week because uh, the Tigers have South Carolina coming up after they have their midweek game. Their uh, their midweek game this week is, let's see, South Carolina has North Carolina A&T at home tomorrow afternoon. And, ooh, Clemson plays upstate over at Fleur Field uh, tomorrow afternoon. Upstate's no pushover by any means. So, And then they've got the three with South Carolina. So Eric Backage is, I'm sure, you know, Clemson fans are a little edgy going into the uh, to the South Carolina game, the series coming up this weekend. By the way, uh, Joe Lenardi has put out an updated uh, briefing on his bracket, not the full bracket. It's on his Twitter, and it's not on his website. It's on his Twitter where he updates the top seeds and updates the uh, – Last four buys, last four in, first four out, and next four out. So he's got Clemson now. He moved them up. He promoted them to first four out at number 71 overall out of 68 teams. So they're third in line, in his opinion, out of the tournament. And then he's got Charleston in the next four out at uh, number 74. Of course, it's pretty clear. Now, Charleston's got the win, the CAA. The CAA is a one-bid league, and uh, Charleston's the number two seed in that tournament. Hofstra's the number one seed, and uh, by virtue of having the tiebreaker, they both finished 16-2 and two in league play. That tournament, be- tournament doesn't begin till the end of the week. Uh, so, you know, with them, it, re- it really doesn't matter. They, they're not going to get... I don't think an at-large bid. That league doesn't ordinarily get an at-large bid, I don't think. So they need to win the CAA. By the way, Pat Kelsey, it was reported today, Pat Kelsey's getting a new contract and, and new money there at the College of Charleston. Uh, let's see, it was reported by uh, one of the basketball folks, I think it was Jeff Goodman, reported that uh, – Kelsey's getting a deal in excess of a million dollars per year, sources have told at Stadium. So I guess he's not going to bolt for any of the other opportunities might come his way. By the way, you know, our business, uh, ben, ben Portnoy from the state is with us, and our, you know, the media business is certainly um, not immune to things related to the financial crisis in this country and this, that, and the other. What was your reaction? Did you have any reaction when you saw that the Athletic laid off beat writers last week at some major universities around the country? Yeah, you know, it's sad. I think there's always some trimming, and every company's a little different. Um, you know, it's definitely interesting to see. And, you know, it's unfortunate to see. You know, you never want to see good people lose a job, especially in this business that's so hard and people work really hard in. But, you know, obviously things happen behind the scenes, and you never really know. So it is what it is. But, um, 
you know, thinking of those folks and, and know they'll land on their feet. And obviously, uh, you know, you hope that, uh, hope, hope that the business is growing, not shrinking. It's, yeah. That's always, that's always the hope. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Uh, and, and of course the athletic was, was purchased by the New York times. And so, you know, if the New York times is, you know, can't keep you afloat, you know, you got to worry about the future of those kind of publications. I thought about it because, you know, the stadium is something similar. It's a bunch of former newspaper writers, right, hired by another group to form an online sort of outlet. And the same thing with The Athletic. Let's go back to the Gamecocks for a few more minutes before we uh, have to let you go. So spring practice is coming up. Um, Recruiting is going to heat back up uh, in a couple of days with the uh, – with March and you can have the in-person contact and visits and all that. So everybody's going to get real busy with that again. But you look at uh, the body of work they did in recruiting. You look at, you know, one thing about Shane Beamer, he has come in and he doesn't make the rules, but he takes advantage of the rules and he's made no bones about it to build a roster at South Carolina. For that matter, he probably thinks anywhere, but to build his roster at South Carolina transfer portal, is a big part of it. He's not ashamed to go and use it. And he knows he's going to lose some players to the transfer portal. But he shops it heavily. And the incoming crowd is about one-third transfers. So he's making great use of it. It's there to be used. And if you're South Carolina and you're trying to basically start something from scratch, why wouldn't you use it? You know, it's interesting that actually, you know, I'm kind of looping back here, but, you know, Shane and I kind of talked about that last week when we sat down was I said, I was like, you know, when he kind of mentioned how at this point in time, you're certainly projecting and developing guys over the course of like, in theory, a four year plan, right? Still, but at the same time, you're almost having to reevaluate your team every single year. It's almost a one year thing every single year because of how volatile things are with the transfer portal and, and, and things like that and how you know, how much movement there is in college football now these days, right? And so because, and I said, you know, when did that start to happen, right? Was that something that happened instantly? Was it something that happened over time? And, and he kind of pointed to the fact of the transfer portal, NIL, all these things happening all at once and, and sort of the confluence of those two things. And when you've got that, like you said, you know, you're roster building year after year. You're not building, you know, I always like to think, and I think it's kind of an old adage of like, you know, you think of college football in waves, right? You're kind of on an upward trajectory. You hit a peak, it goes down a little bit, and then you sort of build back up over the course of a four-year, five-year stretch with with recruiting classes. Mm -hmm. That's not really the case anymore because you can flip it overnight on some level. Not always. I mean, I still think that there are positions that it takes more than that, right? Like you're still probably developing offensive linemen over three, four years. That's just the reality of it. But... Skill position guys are out there. I mean, they're a dime a dozen. You know, defensive backs are a dime a dozen in the transfer portal, things like that. Obviously, impact guys are being recruited by everyone. But um, y- you can go get guys, and, and I think that that changes the entire complexion of it. And I know that's a little meta, and we talk a lot about the big things affecting college sports and college football in particular. But it is interesting to see how how college football in particular and, and at South Carolina, like I think they've really done a good job adapting to that. I think that, you know, Rattler was obviously a big haul. There's been some guys that are big hauls, but you know, the places where Shane Beamer and this staff have done a really good job is sort of under the radar guys that, that have come from maybe lower levels or mm-hmm. smaller schools and, and blossomed. I mean, David Spalding came from Georgia Southern and obviously he was banged up last year, but he's been a really important piece when he's been healthy at nickel. Uh, you know, Carlin's Platel a couple of years ago, same thing. Uh, last year it was, it was uh, uh, Nate Adkins who obviously turned into a really big piece for this team down the stretch. You know, this year they went out and got Mario Anderson from Newberry. They went and got Nick Gargiulo from Yale. The offensive 
offensive lineman who I think is going to be an important piece and, and may end up having a shot to be the starting center this year. So th- there's guys like that that South Carolina has done. It doesn't necessarily get talked about a lot because you've obviously got headliners like Rattler or Trey Knox from, from Arkansas and guys like that that are big gets. But South Carolina has done a really, really good job at some of those sort of like big names at lower levels that, that have kind of climbed up or, or that they found, you know, not necessarily out of nowhere, but um, sort of those guys that fill a need. Um, and that's been really interesting to watch. I think that that's, that's been really good. They've done a good job. Um, with that, you know, you look at a guy like Devonnie Reed last year, probably not an NFL guy, but filled his role and did exactly what you needed him to do. You needed a guy to replace Jalen Foster. He wasn't an All-American, but he played pretty well down the stretch when he was healthy, had some really good moments, played strong, played, you know, a strong safety role, a strong, played strongly at safety, not yeah. strong safety, excuse me. Yeah. A lot of words there, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, filled that role. And the South Carolina's done a really good job hitting on guys like that over the last three years. And I think that's been a big part of why, uh, you know, they've been able to build some of that momentum and sort of shape those rosters. They have lost Freddie Kitchens, an analyst, big name, but an analyst who's going to North Carolina to be the tight ends coach. Uh, and they've had some other you know, folks uh, leave in the background. They've replaced them with some other people. These are folks who are normally pretty anonymous. You don't really know the analyst all that much. Uh, their names pop up on message boards and stuff like that. Now, Freddie Kitchens was a big name because of his background, NFL coach and all that kind of stuff. So they lose him to a full-time gig there at North Carolina as the tight ends coach because they lost their tight ends coach to the Panthers. So they had to fill that. But for the most part, with the exception of Satterfield leaving to go to Nebraska and replacing him with Loggins, and of course the the tran- the transition at offensive line, but Tinsley had been there doing everything on the offensive line for a long time. So I kind of don't want to call that a, a real change. But he's kept his staff together, which I think is if you love your staff and you think you got good people, keeping them together, I think is huge in building your program and, and helping it get to that next level. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this, I mean, if you want to count Lonnie Teasley slash Greg Atkins as a, as a- pulled over from the initial staff we can call it you know south carolina's got on paper six of the initial 10 people that chain beamer had on that first staff obviously there was some shifting around before the first game was played but yeah. you know game one of the beamer era six of those 10 on-field assistants are still at south carolina and you can kind of call it six and a half slash seven if you if you want to include you know the variation of greg adkins and lonnie teasley um that's important and, and you don't see it a lot in college football these days and you look at sort of the you know you look at the Nick Saban model right and obviously people are pulling from Nick Saban because Nick Saban's developed all these coaches and there are great coaches that work under him and going on to head coaching jobs but but being able to keep that staff continuity is really important I mean there are coaches on this staff that that have turned down jobs I mean we Shane Beamer's talked about it that, that there's guys who have turned down jobs from bigger places and and he even mentioned you know when we were chatting the other day like there's guys on on the lower levels like assistant uh, you know analysts and guys off the field that have turned down bigger jobs um from other places and you know we don't always know who those people are and things like that but it's still the fact that that's happening is is shows you what that there's a lot of belief i think in what's going on and Mm -hmm. that's not to say that south carolina is going to turn around and win 12 games next year but i do think that there's something to that and keeping that staff continuity and keeping up with those folks and keeping people in places uh where they can be successful And, and i think they've done that in terms of retaining staff and and all of those things and some of those younger guys who have gone on to other stops are going on for bigger jobs. I mean, you look at a guy like Stanton Weber, who was an analyst under Pete Lembo last year. You know, he's now at 28 years old, going to go be a special teams coordinator at at, at Kent State and and uh, or excuse me, Toledo. 
And so that's a really big jump for a guy that age. I sure. mean, that's that's that shows you that they're developing young coaches onto bigger jobs. And in theory, you know, you want to hire them back. But but that, that's an important piece of, of that as well that I think sometimes gets overlooked. As All well. right. Let me last, ask you this last thing. Keep you for a couple more moments before you leave. Um, you know, after two years, uh, you compare Beamer to Muschamp, at least, you know, from the record standpoint and what they've done on the field. It's pretty similar. Um, Beamer gets a check mark for beating Clemson. Um, they they split their first two bowl games because same thing with Muschamp. He lost his first, won his second. Beamer won his first, lost his second. Uh, Beamer uh, Muschamp won nine games in his uh, second year. Beamer won eight games. So I think he's a like a game back. Well, no, he had a better record his first year than Muschamp mm-hmm. did. My point is. Um, there's not a whole heck of a lot of difference statistically between the two. Now, maybe internally from what was going on with Muschamp to what Beamer is doing now, there's a great deal of difference. Time will tell. I will say that, of course, um, year three started out uh, was going to be started out pretty well for um, Muschamp, and and they lose that game at Florida. I think it was when things started to turn, and then the next, then they lose the bowl game. And then they start the next year, and Bentley goes down with the injury, and they're 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 in quarterback wasteland from that point forward, and things got away from them. I'm just saying this to say you wonder if the infrastructure, the building internally with Beamer is better and stronger than what it was with Muschamp, and he's going to be better able to sustain anything bad that might happen in year three because things started to kind of go sour under Muschamp in year three. Yeah, and obviously, you know, Will Muschamp predates me a little bit here, but I, so I think you can speak to that maybe better than I can. But mm-hmm. I do think that with what you see under Shane Beamer, at least specifically, like there's a really strong infrastructure there, and I think there's an understanding of what needs to be done. It's not, you know, it's not guys jumping in because they're looking for the next thing. It's not guys with, um, you know, aspirations of going elsewhere, things like that. I know a lot of that's cliche, and I know we hear a lot of that, and I think that that's why I think a lot of folks can can argue that Shane Beamer's whole act or whatever you want to call it is is a little corny, and mm. and I can understand that from the outside looking in. But I do think there's a you know I do think that's also grounded in truth too. Like I do think that there is a legitimate foundation that's been built in terms of what Beamer's doing and bringing in and things like that. And I think that, you know, you look at guys like, you know, you're not going and getting guys like Nicholas Harbor if you don't feel like you have that infrastructure in place. You know, you're not going and getting guys like Spencer Rattler without that infrastructure in place on some level or keeping them a second year right? Sure. Um, and belief in coaches and things like that. And, and I think that that's really, really important for a program. Now, again, like that doesn't, you know, the caveat is that doesn't mean that South Carolina is going to turn around and win the SEC East next year. It just, it just doesn't happen like that, but it makes you feel like there's some, there's some kind of longevity that can be built with this because I think we're really early in this. It's still only two years. Um, you know, if South Carolina turns around and goes seven and six next year or eight and five or whatever it might be, like are folks going to be annoyed? Maybe, but the reality is, it's like, those are the logistical steps that you need to be able to build. I mean, you look at it, and it's obviously not an exact comp, and you know, I'm not comparing Beamer and Saban or anything like that. But you know, Nick Saban came in and was seven and six his first year at Alabama, and I think they were what ten and four the next year or something along those lines. I mean, it took two or three years to get to what Alabama being, you know, Alabama sure. and sort of the the Death Star that they are now, and right. in Georgia in the same way. Um, and that's the reality is like these things take time, and it's not always that linear. But I, but I do think there is something real to that 
foundation that that Beamer talks about, that players talk about, that assistant coaches talk about. Like I don't, I, I don't think that's just sort of lip service. I think that is a real thing that actually exists. There. Yeah. Last thing, we'll let you go. In the SEC East, you know Georgia. They're going to be very strong once again, but they do have to play somebody new at quarterback. And what kind of – look, for all the great quarterbacks they they had, it took a transfer walk-on who went to junior college and came back to lead them to two championships. All their highly touted quarterbacks, all the five-star quarterbacks they had couldn't do it. So, you know, I don't want to hear about five-star this and five-star that. A flipping walk-on. It took a walk-on that nobody wanted to win. Now, how do you explain that? But anyway, we don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be, okay? Uh, And that has to be a question mark. Um, What's Tennessee's quarterback situation going to be? Is it it going to be the $8 million quarterback, or is it going to be um, uh, the big strong-arm kid that was uh, the backup last year who played against Clemson and played well? I mean, he impressed me, Joe Milton. He impressed the heck out of me. Um, my, my question to you is, SEC East, I mean, is South Carolina, and like you said, if they slip to something here, something there, is, is it going to disappoint Gamecock fans? But are they not maybe, and they have question marks too, but they do have a quarterback, and they do have one of the best receivers in the SEC, and they do have some good defensive players, and they do have their place kicker and their punter coming back, and they do have that – now they have that special teams edge that every team has to prepare for South Carolina special teams. I mean, because they just that's their reputation now. Are they in a in a better place for upward mobility now in the SEC East to where they might slip in a, and look who knows what Florida's gonna be. So maybe they're at least going into the season, you think of them being third. If there's any slippage with Georgia and Tennessee and South Carolina can take care of its business, they could they could move up into the top two, if not more. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we're obviously a long ways out, and I feel like I have this conversation every week or and a half with someone thinking, like, you know, what is South Carolina going to be this year? But, uh, I mean, I do think there's a world where South Carolina finishes, what, second in the East behind Georgia? I mean, I think Georgia's going to continue to be Georgia. I don't think there's any reason to believe otherwise, but I do think that the East is pretty wide open behind that. I mean, you look at it, and, you know, obviously Tennessee's replacing a quarterback. I mean, I think Joe Milton's got all the talent in the world, but mm-hmm. we'll see whether the accuracy is there and whether they can replace a guy like Jalen Hyatt and, and that kind of thing, but uh, Cedric Tillman as well. But, um, you know, I, I think right now, like, if you're a betting man, like, I'd argue South Carolina's in a better place right now than Kentucky or Florida is right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd put them ahead of probably Missouri, even though South Carolina's lost that game, what, now three years in a row, two yeah, years in a row? three. Three years in a row. Um, you know, you're probably ahead of Vanderbilt, even though Vanderbilt's a little bit pesky right now, and I think they're, they're getting better under Clark Lee. But, um, I, I mean, you could the, there's a pretty easy argument to be made that South Carolina could finish second in the East this year, and, and whether that happens, we'll see. I mean, I think it's realistic to see them finish, you know, third or fourth maybe. But but I do think that there's a world where, where it's really wide open right now, and I think they've got a shot. It's just a matter of, you know, do things shake out? Do they go beat a beat a Tennessee again? You got to go to Knoxville this year. Um, you know, got to go to A and M. Got to go to A and M. Got to go to Missouri. You got to play UNC Week One mm-hmm. in Charlotte in a crazy game. That's going to be you know Drake May versus Spencer Rattler. That's Ooh. that's going to be a really fun quarterback matchup. What do you think I'm, they'll put the over under at? <laughs> like one hundred and seventy three. <laughs> I mean, like you know that's going to be a yeah. that's going to be a good old fashioned Big Twelve shootout. You know, let's yeah. get a, let's get, a, get like a seventy five seventy two oh, final there or something. Yeah. But. Uh, but no, I mean, I think that there's the schedule is going to be hard. It's going to be tricky. It's always tricky. You're still going to have to play Clemson every year. But I do think that there's a world where South Carolina can take that step up. Like it's there for the taking. 
now it's just a matter of doing it and you know saying easier, it, saying it and doing it is obviously you know cliche yeah. right easier said than done yeah. so we'll see thank you my friend it's been a pleasure it was great running into you today and uh, appreciate you spending some time with us i know this has been fun you know yeah. nice nice little spot here in the jack nicholas mr room. nicholas's room mr nicholas's room yeah steve wilmot corrected me when i said we'll be in jack's room he goes Mr. Nicholas's room. So I know I'm looking around. There's probably more pictures of Jack in this room than there are fairways that we hit today. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, this is pretty. This is a great spot for this. So I'm glad we could do this. You know, Jack and I have a lot in common as I think about it. We both have two legs and uh, swung a golf club once. We both have <laughs> put a golf club in our hands at least once. That's pretty much where it ends. And I've been through uh, Ohio before, I, you know, so that's kind of that's kind of where. And he's been to South Carolina before, so you know. I read Arnold Palmer's biography this summer, thinking it might help my golf game, and uh, I'm still waiting to see the returns on that. So ha- hasn't helped, huh? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> um, go get yourself a tsunami bar, and uh, and go see my friend George Bryan. That'll help your golf game more than anything else. <laughs> I promise you that. Thank you. Safe trip home. I'll see you back in Columbia. Appreciate you, Phil. Thanks you, for having me. You too, me. buddy.